According to the Sun, there were thousands of empty ecstasy wrappers littering the floor of the 250-foot-long hangar. Drugs, sex, sensation. Some newspapers have called Acid House Music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug-taking. The message is certainly getting across. The organizers kept the location secret until the very last moment, which was the main reason, according to the papers, why there were so few police here and they were unable to act. Drug-crazed kids, some as young as 12, boogied for eight hours yesterday at Britain's biggest ever ecstasy bash. The party took place here, infiltrated by reporters from the Mail and the Sun. There's, there's meant to be a drugs-related craze. What do you know about acid house music? It must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that does it. Oh, All no. them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't even go in the pub where them lights are. Oh, no. Welcome to the 88 Podcast with yours truly, Wayne Anthony. This is part three in our series on media hype, where we deep dive the numerous articles that were published between 1988 and 1990. Most of them were done by anonymous journalists who wasn't really prepared to put their names against most of the clickbait and sensationalized news headlines that they were creating. It sold lots of papers, but it gave a really bad reputation to lots of the Acid House party promoters, but generally to the normal folks, to the young ravers. Ravers is a word I, I dislike, but in terms of unifying the word across the podcast and across the world to anyone that's watching this, I will call them ravers, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, you know, the young ravers really were the ones that were being demonized and you could hold, again, I've said it before, you can hold a light to us promoters, but in reality, all of those young people that were coming out and coming to those events were, were quite innocent in this whole thing. They were out there. They were discovering themselves. They were reading about all these parties in these newspaper articles. And there's such an emphasis on teenagers that I'm sure I was 22 at the time, but I'm sure if I was a teenager and I was reading about all these different articles where they're talking about, you know, 10,000 teenagers out of their minds at these secret illicit parties, you know, you never know where the party is going to be. You never know what part of England they're going to be in. But everyone that are gathered at these events are basically, you know, young little demons <laughs> running amok out of their minds on mind-bending drugs. Before we go into the podcast, let me just say a little bit about our network. Because here again, we are a young network we do need the support of all the listeners and anyone that's watching on YouTube. And uh, we really appreciate your support. So, you know, smash that subscribe button, <laughs> smash that notification button, because we honestly do need that support and we are quite grateful. And it, it's, it may seem like a small thing to you, but uh, 
in terms of us getting the message out there, it, it really does help. So here again on our channel, we have all of the different episodes. We have lots of clips that we actually create as exclusive content just for our YouTube channel. As you can see, there's lots of funky little stuff. So yeah, so that that's the YouTube channel. So subscribe, uh, hit the notification button and comment. You know, we'd love to have some comments. And we're also obviously on social media. Again, you know, just follow, you know, help us to spread this message. You know, share us in your stories and, you know, follow all the rest of it. There we go, our Twitter page again. It's all young. We need the support. So follow us on Twitter. We're also on Mixcloud. For, for all of those that are on Mixcloud, follow us on Mixcloud. So it's Mixcloud. Who's next? Facebook. We have our Facebook group. You know, honestly, just uh, come and help us out. And our official webpage, the 88podcast.com. And on here, we have all of the links to all of the episodes and all of our different social media networks. So you can get everything that you need is on the 88podcast.com. We do have lots of different show notes and here's all, here's all the, the different episodes. So this is Media Hype Part 3. And just to have a little recap of what we said in Media Hype Part 1 and 2. And if you go to our pages, we have lots more information about the podcast. We have the show notes and all that stuff. So Media Hype Part 1, we covered a load of articles that were based, um, that were published in 1988. And so just for those that are listening, I'll just go over a few of the bullet points. Uh, in this episode, uh, we covered It's Groovy and Cool. It's our Acid House t-shirt. That was the Sun's t-shirt offer. We uh, deep dived that. There was another one, Evil of Ecstasy. Acid House themed fashion ranges in major retail stores. We spoke about that. Because here's one of the things. By 1988, which is what we're discussing in a Media Hype Part 1, a lot of the the second summer of love had already happened. And so a lot of people who had experienced that, everyone that was in a B for 1987, everyone that were there in 1988, for them, the whole scene was over. It's closed. There's, there's no more to it. And, and that was one of the reasons why they're so, you know, guarded about the second summer of love and 1988. The, the fact is more people were unplugged in 1989. There were, just a small number it couldn't be more than five figures uh back in 1988 that were you know rediscovered themselves but in 1989 it was tens of thousands of people that discovered themselves but you know that's that's not an argument that i'm going to present here um so in 1988 they, they thought it was over and it could have well been over if it wasn't for the fact of this media campaign that that was carried out by the national newspapers and it was them and these were all the articles that we discussed in the media hype part one that was all after the second summer of love so in effect it was these newspaper articles that really brought it back 
into the mainstream because it could have easily just died a death. Easily. But these newspaper articles back in the UK, they they lit a, a, a torch, you know, they lit a torch under this and they brought it into the household of everyone in the UK. So that was the media hype part one. And we, again, we discussed different things, panic attacks, radio helplines, planting bad seeds. They were planting things in people's heads, telling people that things like if you didn't like spiders, you'll start seeing large, giant ones, not even large ones, giant ones. And they made all of these false statements. In one journalist in Media Hype Part One, one journalist even suggested, and I can't remember if it was an anonymous journalist or not, but they even suggested that you could be sexually attacked or sexually abused, however you want to frame it. And you wouldn't realize that you'd been sexually abused to perhaps the day after or even a couple of weeks later. And that's someone who's taken MDMA. And throughout the article where they're speaking about these sexual assaults, the word teenagers was rifled throughout the whole article. So it was really a fear factor and it, and it really did the job. But that was the, so 1988 stuff, that was from, that was Media Hype Part 1. And then in Media Hype Part 2, I don't mean for this to drag on, but I, I felt that if, if you've only just tuned in and you're listening to Part 3, I feel like I should give you a quick recap of what we did in Part 1 and 2. So again, we got all the show notes. And in this episode, this is Media Hype Part 2, Acid House spreads like fire. Um, and that was how fast it spread. Once these articles came out, it was spread like wildfire. And then we discussed the fake Genesis party, which was this new world Genesis party. And this was a DJ that I'd met at MASH, at the record shop at MASH, Passion Records. And I, I don't want to get that Steve. There was two Steves involved in this story. And I don't want to get them mixed up because one of them was the DJ Noodles. And he actually worked at the mass store. Um, and he's not the other guy, Steve, that actually created the fake party because the other guy, he wanted to be a DJ. His name was Steve. So just so we don't get those two people crossed, mixed up because, you know, Noodles is a good guy. So... I just thought I would clear that up. But that was a fake party. There, uh, and that fake party produced this headline. Acid kids are duped in a £160,000 party con. So we also spoke about MASH, uh, the retail, the retail um, clothes shop that was on Elk Oxford Street. Uh, we spoke about Damski being in the news. You know, they, it was, there was talk about him getting £150,000 to play at Disneyland and... We spoke about acid riots and police clashes, and we spoke about the meeting points at service stations. And Genesis and biology, we spoke about that at, at Mepham because that generated a few headlines. And then obviously, we spoke about bank robbers attracted by news headlines because they were seeing all these types of headlines. 160,000 pound party con, for example, half a million pound being made in one night. They're robbing post offices for 20,000 pounds. So obviously they came 
knocking on our doors. And the one thing, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but the one thing that when I'm called, when I'm called to do interviews, a lot of the time they call me in to bring the drama um, in that the experience that it's public that I went through, they really want, they bring me in to bring in a negative element to show people that yes, it was all shiny and bright colored lights and clothes and on all the rest of it. But look, listen to what Wayne's going to say. And I'm in originally in the old days, you know, I would give them what they wanted to hear. But as you get a little bit more wise to it, and as you get a little bit more media savvy, you realize that they're bringing me in for the drama. So and the and the fact is, they're hyping up the gangster elements and, and the dark elements of the scene. And the reality of it is, that was a really small part of it. And it sounds dramatic to people from middle England and to middle class people who have never, you know, who didn't grow up in the rough streets of Hackney, you're here now, but you wasn't here in the old days. And so it sounds really scary and dramatic and it is really scary and dramatic, dramatic. I'm not going to diminish that experience, but that's what people want to hear. But nowadays when they interview me, I, I say the truth that yes, it was really dramatic and scary, but that, that was a, a mosquito bite in the grand scheme of things. And a few gangsters and a few people with, different agendas they wasn't going to stop this from happening they wasn't going to stop the growth of it it was just going to be grow and grow and grow um and so they wasn't going to stop it and the fact is that every single pub every single club in london i know i won't even speak about outside of london because you know but in london Every single pub and every single club, lots of restaurants, they paid protection money. So what they try and do in a lot of these media interviews, they would try and single us young acid house promoters out and say, look, you know, the gangsters moved on these, there was gangsters involved, there was gangsters organizing it. But the reality of it is, they're not organizing it. Yes, we pay extortion money, but when club owners pay extortion money, do they leave it to the gangsters to organize the club? When a restaurateur gives extortion money to a gangster, it doesn't turn over the running of the restaurant to the gangster. So they're not running the show. They're, they're keeping the walls off your back if you're lucky, if you're with the right firm. Because also there could be, <laughs> you know, different types of confrontations between different gangs. Who, who, who are the biggest? Who's the baddest? Who's got the biggest name? Normally, the higher up you go, the less violence you see. It's just done with phone calls and names, but that's a different story. So, and we spoke about hiring venues for fake music uh, videos, <laughs> fake music, pop music videos. And so that's class of HA. Uh, sorry, you know why I did that? Because I just looked at the next page. But so that's the 88podcast.com. Also, I haven't really plugged my book in any of these podcasts that I've done. Now, th this was the original copy of my book, Class of 88, The True Acid House Experience, 
this was published by Virgin in 1998, 10 years after I started doing parties. So that was good. And for years, I mean, this book was selling for up to secondhand for up to 500 pounds. And since the book got reissued, a lot, you know, the book's prices have come, has come down dramatically, but you can still see there's, you know, there's one, there's a book, copy of the book here for 42 pound, 45 pound, 114 pound. So, I mean, that was a great honor to see that. And they've been selling those books on Amazon for years. So if you're looking for stock and filler, class of HA, the Trasidas experience, this is the reissued edition, which is class of 88, find the warehouse and lose the hitmen, pump the beats. Again, you can get this on Amazon. The paperback was reissued by Virgin in 2018. So you can get that and there's customers who viewed this item also viewed and there's a number of books here, Adventures in Wonderland, The Hacienda, Secret DJ, The Second Summer of Love, The Life and Times of Brandon Block, Blocko, and Altered States. And I think I'm in four of those books. Yeah, I'm in four of those books as far as I know. But the funny thing is products related to this item, this is on Amazon, this is for my book. Products related to this Amazon. There's a book on the Beatles. There's a book on the Mafia. There's another book on the Underworld. Another one, Unmaking a Murderer. Pablo Escobar and Joni Mitchell. Anyway, I should... Uh, one more shameless plug, and that is the official Class of 88 website. I'm just... We're currently updating it, so within the next few days, it should be all working and ready to go. So... If you wanted to look up some of the stuff that I've done in the past, you can come to the, the official site, Class of 88. Here you'll see lots of Genesis flyers, some old photographs and scrapbook. There's my thing in the Museum of London. My book, Class of 88, was put as a time capsule under the Museum of London. So here we have video interviews, video vault. We're opening a store soon, a Class of 88 store, where I'm actually recently created free silkscreen prints limited edition prints um have i got an image of it here we go and for example i've done three different prints and this print is called the assassination of youth culture and it contains all of those newspaper headlines that we've actually been discussing here on these media hype podcasts and I've actually been collecting these headlines for years now. And um, this print is actually coming out within the next few days. So look out for that. So, yes. So that's the shameless plug-in out of the way. Again, we really would appreciate your help in this support. Not help, support. <laughs> so let's start. So... We are in 1989 still. So there's been hundreds of articles published about Acid House and the fact that everyone are on mind-bending drugs and the fact that it's teenagers uh, are, are most of the people that come to these events. Um, although we've also established that when we talk about teenagers, I, we didn't really see them 
at these events. And, I, and I, I've said before, when I've ever seen people that I consider to be too young to be at my parties, and remember, this is warehouse parties in warehouses that we've broken into. If I ever saw them, I would boot them out. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One of them would be because you're just too young to be in here looking at a strobe light. The other is that, you know, we were trying to, the, the one building that I really did it in was Leaside Road, 1988. And we were trying to keep, you know, we were trying to keep the drugs covert, if I'm completely honest. And these, having some kids in your warehouse out of the heads on drugs didn't really help your case. So promoters, we were really strong on this and we would just boot them out and, and it's as simple as that. But reading all these articles and reading the fact that the teenagers is mentioned so frequently, we've already established that this was to trigger parents and trigger a parent's reaction to force the government into doing something about it even if it meant stripping away people's rights of movements uh, and people's rights, general rights. It didn't really matter because when they'd read all these headlines, such as the one we're looking at right now, which says 25,000 go wild on acid. So when parents are looking at headlines like that, they're not really thinking about the fact that we're restricting humans. The, the, the movement of humans, we're creating laws which effectively take away our rights of movement and take away our, our rights to assembly. And that's why they did it. And let's start with this article. So on our screen right now, 25,000 go wild on acid. I mean, that's so dramatic. Can you imagine reading that? I mean, I remember reading it back then. I'm just going to make it a bit bigger so we can read it. And this is by Ruki Saeed. More than 25,000 youngsters, some aged only 11, went wild at a huge acid house party yesterday as police watched helplessly. I mean, listen to what they're saying. Some aged only 11. How would you even know that? And when you say some, when we're talking about a figure of 25,000, when you say some, that sounds like quite a lot of people. That sounds like quite a lot of 11-year-olds. And again, you see what they're doing here. And they're pointing out the fact that, look, the police watched helplessly as 25,000 youngsters, some aged only 11, went wild out of the heads on drugs. Dozens of evil pushers raked in a fortune, open, openly selling the mind-bending drug ecstasy at £10 a time with a bottle of mineral water to wash it down. Now, in all of my time, <laughs> I've never met a, a drug dealer or what they call them now, or an evil pusher gave you a bottle of mineral water to wash it down i mean i suppose sometimes it might give you a couple of mouthfuls of him or her give you a couple of uh mouthfuls of their water that they have you know especially if you're like ready to do it there and then on the spot you're that excited and again i'm talking about back then i'm not talking about today you know the last 
time I actually took an ecstasy pill was um, New Year's Eve 1995 at the Holborn, Holborn Pavilion in Australia. That was a fantastic night. That was the last time I ever took an E. So that was 1995. By then I'd had it. But um, I'll go on with this uh, article. A police superintendent and WPC moved through throngs of spaced out teenagers as dealers chanted E, hash, weed to the beat of the music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mate, can you imagine? So this police superintendent in their uniforms in WPC clearly are walking through these thronged out, spaced out teenagers and dealers are chanting e-hash-weed to the beat of the music. I mean, how do you even know that they're in time with the music? School-laced children rolled their own reefers. Yeah, so the way they're making it sound was like some teenage disco. And it was not even remotely like this. You didn't see these young kids. You didn't see them. In 1990, when we did the Freedom to Party demonstration in Trafalgar Square, I remember I got there. Oh, we, I arrived there with Jarvis, actually. And I took a couple of photographs. And looking back at these photographs today, there wasn't that many people in the the square at that point. I mean, it got packed later. There's thousands and thousands of people there. This is just for people who don't know. But at that point, there wasn't many people there. And looking back at those photos, I look and I see lots of people that looked under 20. But this was March 1990. This was after hundreds of articles proclaiming teenagers to be partying at these secret parties. So I'm not surprised if by then they were encouraged to come to these events. And again, I would say these kids were under 20. There wasn't 11. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. Um, you know, school-aged children rolled their own reefers. All these old words, you know. Oh, and they're all trigger words. I mean, reefer was a trigger word. You know, I, I, I can't remember the name of the documentary. What was it? Something reefer. So, again, that word reefer was that when they were trying to ban... Um, well, I don't know if they were trying to ban it. They may have already banned it. But when, when they were trying to sensationalize smoking cannabis in the states and i can't remember it was something reefer but that was the words that they used reefer so this this was a word they were using to create an association with that famous film you know and the whole evil lurking because i think it was like kind of aimed at mexicans and, and mexicans were at the time selling you know, drugs to kids or whatever, selling weed to kids, I should say. Um, but the officers were only there to make sure there was no trouble, while notices about the noise were served on the organisers. Because I've said it in a few different podcasts, and in the last podcast I did, which was actually declassifying Acid House files, we actually got through to the um the confidential files they were confidential for nearly 30 years and they were uh declassified in 2016 
And we established in those declassified files that the government at the time wanted to make noise an actual criminal offence. And so this is one of the reasons why they keep serving notices on noise, because they really want to change the law. And if they can serve as many notices on noise as what they possibly can, it helps their case to legitimise, you know, their hopes of turning noise into a criminal offence. The 15-hour bash started on Saturday night when hordes of Acid House fans converged on the village of Effingham, Surrey. Cars, coaches and vans poured into Newmarsh Farm for the £30 a head Energy Summer Festival. Now, again, I'm not reading these articles in advance. You know, I'm freestyling it my way through them. I probably read them at the time when, because this was from my uh, collection so I've actually got this newspaper article so I haven't pre-read it or anything like that so I didn't know that this was Jeremy and Tintin's party um so I was actually I was there <laughs> so I was at this party uh, there wasn't 25,000 people there but there was a good party youngsters from as far away as Leeds Swindon and Ipswich screamed mental mental as lasers hit the sky there again it just shows you that they're recognizing that people are coming to these events from all over the country headlines from the sun condemning the drug craze flashed on a huge video screen so i remember at the time we were not me but you know people were making um, projections of these newspaper articles and they were flashing them on screens at parties and why wouldn't you i mean with headlines like this twenty-five thousand go wild on acid i mean that's a real headline that's not made up i mean it's made up it's clickbait can you imagine how many newspapers that sold that day and can you imagine how many people turn against acid house and this is what it was doing it was this was creating a wedge between the public and ravers for, you know and, I mean, this is not just ravers in the, in the eyes of the, the media, teenagers. So this is driving a wedge. And the reason they need to drive a wedge is but then they can do whatever they want with us. Because once you have the public demanding our blood, they can come in, they can change the laws, they can smash our heads in every weekend when, you know, riot cops come and raid parties. You know, they can do what they want. And, you know, we give them... The public give them that permission to do that. Here's another thing. Party organisers made an estimated half a million pound from the bash, which cost about 50,000 to stage. So these are the type of newspaper headlines that were attracting gangsters, bank robbers, post office robbers, the criminal elements. They're robbing post offices for 20,000 pounds. You're telling me? These guys have got half a million pound. There isn't half a million pound on the site, even if they had half a million pound, but there was still a lot of money on the site. It's not half a million, but it's still good money. It's more than what's going to be in a post office, but obviously most of this money isn't even on the site. So are they going to now kidnap you? So you take them to the money? Because that's, that's, that's basically what's going to happen. Now, there's another part of this article. Anyway, 
Police, who only heard of the party hours before, at first stopped youngsters entering the site. But as thousands joined the crush, senior officers decided it was safer to let them in. Now, that crush isn't inside the party. If there's any crush, it's people outside of those police corridors, those police roadblocks, trying to get past the police roadblocks. So that's the reason why they've let them in, because they're creating a bottleneck scenario with all of these people who want to get to the party, and they will get to the party by any means necessary. You know, climbing over walls, you know, jumping, you know, running through fields. They don't really care. They want to get there. Once you can see those flashing lights, about 70 police were on duty, but there were only seven arrests, two for alleged drug offences. Police will quiz the organisers and those responsible for the land, because again, they're coming after promoters and they're coming after landowners. There could be charges. Michael Grillis, blah, 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 Northwest Surrey said, it's a massive indictment of parents that allow their children to attend this sort of thing. Fellow Tory Terry Dix said, these parents should be fined if not sent to prison. Fellow Tory Terry Dix said these parties' parents should be fined if not sent to prison. I mean, you hear this talk uh, today, but so they're talking about, and these are MPs, and they're, they're, they're you know, this is predictive programming. They're suggesting, they're planting the suggestion that, hey, why don't we find parents if their kids turn up at one of these illegal raves, at one of these illegal parties. Because it was quite specific. It was illegal raves, you know. And to end this article, monks at a silent order at West Kingsdown, Kent, were disturbed by 3,000 at a nearby acid house party. They've highlighted in quotes, drug kids' parents ought to be fined MP Terry Dix. You know, it's madness. And there's another smaller article on the same page that says court ban halts fire risk party. Because here again, it's health and safety. An acid house bash tagged the heat was smashed at the weekend because it was a fire risk. Around 10,000 revelers were expected to head for a disused factory at a West Bromwich at West Bromwich, West Midlands. But the local council won a high court junction to ban the party after fire experts declared the building unsafe. Only 30 youngsters, mainly from London, arrived at the factory but were promptly turned away by the police. Now, I've mentioned this before as well, that getting a license for a warehouse to do parties all night, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a difficult thing to do. Even with good lawyers, it was really difficult. All right, so that's that one. Let's go to let's go to this one um, for our mate Jarvis. <laughs> now, this article, for those listening, is M25 Acid Parties. Mr. Big does a bunk to Costas. And Costas, for those who don't know, it was the Costa del Sol in Spain. And at this time, it was a bit of a haven for British gangsters. There, I don't, I don't know if they had an extradition 
agreement with England at the time. Maybe they did, I'm not sure. But what I do know is lots of English gangsters, they all bought fillers and they all moved to the Costa del Sol. And so that's why they're mentioning the Costa del Sol. So they're making it sound like Mr. Big. And and the, the, the gangsters that were living in Spain were the famous gangsters. You know, they pulled off the biggest robberies and stuff in British history. And they ended up in Spain. And so that's why they're doing this article, because they're trying to make it seem like real organized gangsters are involved in this scene, you know? which they were, but not on an organization basis. And they were because people that were, because, you know, people said to me, yeah, but Wayne, you know, you, your boys, you know, they were tooled up. And I say, yeah, but you never saw those tools. You only saw, I only ever saw them twice. And that was when people came to rob us, you know? Um, I remember one time, just, just a short one. It's a longer story in my book or whatever, and I'll tell it on a different day. But I remember when some yardies uh, came to a chapter of chapter we were doing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're taking money in, in the reception and they come in with guns, pointing them in my face. I mean, what do you do in that sort of situation? Because if, if there are security who were getting 25% of the money, if they wasn't there with their own tools you know what would have happened because they pulled out theirs and then it was, suddenly there was a scene from reservoir dogs <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but i'll talk about that another time but uh it's it's a good story but um suffice to say that they walked away with no money they you know so no one got shot or anything like that and they walked away with no money but if if our guys wasn't there like that and you, you you just get robbed and then there's no point in actually doing it. So you had to have some level of protection or people that were willing to put themselves in harm's way, which a lot of the time they're not really willing to do that. They're not going to take a bullet for you, but they're going to front it out as far as they can. Um, so M25 acid parties, Mr. Big does a bunk to Costas. £500,000 ripoff. Again, throwing around these big, massive figures, which is going to attract every gangster in the land. So these, these journalists have put their names to it, but we won't go into that. But So the Mr. Big behind last weekend's Acid House Party, before I should say that, I should say there's a picture of a flyer or uh, a biology flyer, biology and panorama. So we, we immediately know who it is. It's a biology party. So the Mr. Big behind last weekend's Acid House party was hiding in Spain last night, £500,000 better off. Now, this is Jarvis. This is our old mate Jarvis, who we often speak about on the podcast, who hasn't come on the podcast yet. Sort yourself out, son. Um, and... I think, I can't remember if this was a Sunday. Let's have a little look. Oh, this was a Tuesday. But, so this must have been the Tuesday after the weekend. And this was the big open air party that uh, Biology did, uh, the, the DJ's convention. There's a lot of debate about whether it's DJ's convention or pan panorama, but that's for another podcast. But um, this was the weekend after the DJ's convention. And this is on the Tuesday. 
and it was the big open air one i think it was the first open air one as well it was the first open air event and it was the biggest one up to that point it was a great party it was a really good party and adamski was actually in the podcast i spoke with adamski i think he said he played three times at this party but carrying on he jetted out to his Costa bolt hole after ripping off 8,000 teenage kids and leaving behind a string of debitors. The mystery mastermind dukes farmer Seamus Deegan into hiring him, hiring him a field for the rowdy all-night orbital party, so-called because they take place within a few miles of London's M25. Seamus was told it was a charity event. Because again, you had to lie in order for to gain not the trust, but really the trust of the property owner. You had to lie. You had no choice. Uh, when you said it was a charity event, or again, I've said this before, or a film shoot or something like that, they really responded to that. And you had more chance of, of hiring a, a field, a venue, under the skies of a charity or a production. And that's why, that's why all of us, we all did it. What, I, 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 I won't go on. When he learned the truth and tried halting the giant party, his life was threatened. Heavy surrounded his car and told him, we'll shoot anyone who tries to stop this. There's too much at stake. Can you honestly think someone would use that language? Huh? Some, so you're going you're gonna to threaten to shoot someone and in the same breath, there's too much cash at stake. As if you're going to say that, you're just going to say, mate, stand down or you're going to get one. You're not gonna, too much information. Now his six-acre field at Elstree Hertz is covered in glass and rubbish. Don't know where the glass would come from. Um, because it wasn't really glass bottles. Yeah, a lot of plastic bottles. Or maybe those Lucasade bottles. But I don't know what they're trying to suggest here because maybe because if it was Lucasade bottles, they'd be saying, you know, there's loads of Lucasade bottles, but they're not saying that. They're just saying loads of glass. So I'm not quite sure what they mean. And he faces a six thousand pound bill to clean it up. Seamus was paid eight hundred pounds in cash by a middleman who gave no name. Like other victims, the farmer never met the Mr. Big behind it. Scaffolders who contracted the stage, who were contracted for the stage for the DJs and erected the giant marquee, have been left £40,000 out of pockets. I don't know if that's true or not. And at least three of the DJs who hosted the event were not paid. I'm not sure. The youngsters paid £15 a head for the tickets. Drugs cause a thirst. <laughs> and inside, they were charged £1 for a tiny cup of Ribena, £2 for a can of lager, and 50 pence for an orange. I don't know about the lager, and Ribena came in a small carton. So I, I can't remember that. I was at this party up. Jarvis supplied lots of champagne, but I can't actually remember him doing cups at any party at all. So, But the drug ecstasy was being offered cheaper than normal at £10 a time. One witness said kids of 14 were buying it. How would you know that? 
A source close to the organizer said, it's one big ripoff. The man behind this has made £120,000 from ticket money alone. So how much do they think he's made from? Out, you know, for selling drinks. He's got lots of other ripoffs which have made him about 500000 from this one party. Like what? What are these other ripoffs that he's done? There was no merchandise. I think he had a little champagne stall, you know, but who's going who's not many people buying champagne? Um and it was just, you know, non-alcoholic beverages. So that's a lot of water to sell, you know. Mr. Big arrived in a stretch Mercedes. I know that Mercedes, I've been in that. Despite a huge outcry from locals, police claimed they could not stop the party because it was on private land. But a district council at Barnet have issued writs accusing Londoners Mark Green and Jarvis Sandy of staging an unlicensed party and causing noise pollution. Both men in their early 20s are missing. Now, they've kind of separated them here because they're not saying they are the Mr. Biggs, which they are, if, you, if, you, if, if you're going to relate that to whoever done the party. So that was that. So that's, you know, and this is June 13th, 1989. So let's go to another one. Here's another one. This is July 1989. Police smash acid parties. Let me just go in a bit closer. Oh, there's Rookie Said and Eddie Fitzmorris are the journalists. Police were jubilant last night after smashing five acid house parties in a military style crackdown in a military style crackdown. And this is what happens when you have all of these articles that use the word terror, because I can show you we have articles with the word terror, where you, you say that criminals are organized it, there's organized crime behind it. When you talk about people patrolling with rock whalers and baseball bats and pickaxe handles and all of these types of things, this is what happens. The police come in in a military fashion and you know they're not taking any prisoners well they are <laughs> but they come in hard really really hard remember this was a lot of young people you know they were on this love drug they were discovering themselves and police were coming in and smashing heads effectively with their trunctions and they warned thrill-seeking youngsters who flocked to the drugged played thrashes there won't be any more more than 300 officers were involved in the weekend blitz on the Acid House cult. Remember, they were trying to push this cult thing. Target of dealers pushing drugs like mind-bending ecstasy. <laughs> so look at the amount of officers. So they're speaking about they smashed five Acid House parties in a military-style crackdown. 300 officers involved in the weekend blitz 300 um 
The main operation stopped a huge all-night party planned at a disused aircraft hangar near the M4 services at Membury on the blah, blah, blah. Up to 7,000 youngsters paid between £15 and £50. Who's selling tickets for £50? Organisers called it Energy 2. Although they had booked the hangar, pretending they were from the children's charity, Bernardo's. So this is another article about the party that we just spoke about in the last article. Um, and again, they're mentioning children's charities, Bernardo's. So that was an energy party. Okay, let's go to this one. Hi, here's, here's more from our old mate Jarvis. Now, this is when Jarvis, he was staging, you know, what, what he said was going to be, you know, the biggest party, acid party up to that date. And he was throwing around the the number 40,000. I can't remember if it was 20,000, actually, but he did start throwing around the, the, the 40,000 number. And... This was the party that he actually, I spoke about it in the podcast with Ian Mill. And um, when he went on TV, he went on a Kilroy chat show. And Kilroy was the biggest TV chat show in the UK at the time. And I think we only had three channels at that time. Or we may have just, just had four. Because we started off with three and maybe Channel 4 was quite new at this time. It, yeah, Channel 4 was quite new. So we only had four TV channels. And so it was quite a popular morning chat show. And Jarvis was on that show and with our friend, well, with a group of people and on the opposite side of them was uh, the head of the police pay party unit, Kenneth Tappenden. And on that show, Jarvis basically threatened Kenneth Tappenden, who was a decorated police officer and a police commander. And he, when I say threatened, he basically said, look, if you stop my party, I'm going to have 40,000 people driving around the streets of London, you know, basically jamming the streets. I mean, that was the threat. Police secretly planning to put a stop to Britain's biggest ever acid house party tonight have had a chilling warning. Organiser Jarvis Sandy, 26, told them last night, don't stop us or there will be a riot. Londoner Jarvis said, we're trying to avoid the mass riot that will follow any cancellation. But if the police don't stop antagonising us, that riot is going to happen. Up to 40,000 people are expected at the all-nighter in a disused warehouse in Sussex tonight. But a special squad of 250 is out to stop them. The £25 ticket holders are given the secret location just hours before for a recorded phone message so 250 policemen are out to stop Jarvis's party that night and they did stop it that night to be fair I mean that's quite dramatic isn't it 250 policemen are out to stop it and I have to say in Jarvis's defense when Jarvis is talking about riots I mean that was all talk there wasn't going to be a riot I mean people were unhappy and you know they may have jumped around and screamed a bit and made a lot of noise, but there definitely wouldn't have been a riot. But he's just trying to back the police off. But in doing that, all he did was he made it a lot worse for himself.
And so here's 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 one. <laughs> this is quite dramatic. Now I think this might be 1990, and this has got mixed up in the 1989 folder. But I think this might have been. There's another part of this article, and I think it might have said hundreds in acid night of terror drug school kids and evil mr fixits in bloody fight with riot cops and then you obviously got the acid house frowny there so i think this might be the sun so i mean that's quite dramatic and if you look at these lot they look quite young but i'm i, I think this is quite 1990 and they're definitely not as young as what they're saying and here's some more from 1989. Bross enlisted in our war on Acid House. Top chart stars Bross yesterday backed the Sun's campaign against Acid House drug abuse. And now, again, it was established in the other podcast that the, a couple of the couple of the pop stars that were speaking out against Acid House actually had acid house mixes of some of their tracks and bros were one of them and even though they tried to distance themselves from those acid house mixes with the claim that you know they're not you know they wasn't produced with drugs in mind or whatever um you, you can't you, you, you can't i mean don't get me wrong obviously it's not their decision you know it's their producer's decision all the different types of mixes they do because the fact is with a lot of these things, they would have a you know a load of tape ops, like what they used to do at Pete Walkman's at PWL. They would have a load of tape ops, and they would just unleash all of these tape ops, and they'd be in their own studios, and they would just unleash them. And they would have access to all of the music, and if they can come up with any good remixes, all good. You know, they get the thumbs up from Pete, and the mix would be used. And I imagine it's the same in all record companies. You've got a bunch of guys who do loads of remixes and then the producers will say yay or nay and you haven't really got a say. So in defense of Bross, they didn't have a say whether they had acid house mixes or not. And, you know, I mean, you've got to do these things as well, haven't you? You know, so I don't hold it against them. Busted. Monday, July the 3rd, 1989. And this is a, a big, big headline. And I haven't actually got the article. I've just got the headline for those listening. Busted. Cops huge swoop falls acid house parties. Dude. It's a couple of... Uh... So back to the... You know, here's, here's, here's another article with the use of the word terror. Because I was telling people, they've mentioned before, that they use the word terror in, in headlines. Can you imagine? And, and in this one, in this article, the headline is Cops Back Off in Acid House Battle, Drugs Party Terror. <laughs> and if, from our point of view, from our side, these were just like loads of kids dancing to electronic dance music in warehouses. That was it. There was nothing beyond that. They Yes, they might have taken one ecstasy tablet, but that was it. There was nothing sinister. This to them was the best thing that they'd ever done. And they were building lifetime memories, memories that they share today and that they hold on to today, which is one of the whole reasons why I'm even doing this podcast, because we all hold these memories 
dearly to our hearts and we think it's an important, an important time in British history that should be celebrated. And it cannot be diminished because there was drug use in the same way that the 1970s can't, cannot be diminished with your Pink Floyds and, you know, your, your Rolling Stones and your Beatles and all of the, those bands. It cannot be diminished. The fact that they were, were playing real instruments and they were still taking a lot of drugs. And yes, they were playing real instruments and, and our generation, we were using electronic music and sometimes that experience is being diminished because it was electronic dance music and that people wasn't creating it on, you know, guitars and whatever, you know, on a piano. But the fact is things had changed, technology, technology had changed and technology gave these young bedroom DJs for the first time in history the, the technology that they could remix tracks and build tracks in their bedrooms at home. And that was kind of frowned upon by the real musicians and the real musicians in the music industry. You cannot diminish one, the music that was produced during that time. And you, and you cannot diminish the experience that we all had as young people during this period. So back to the article. So the headline cops back off in acid house battle, drugs, party, terror. Police were forced to retreat when an acid house party turned into a riot yesterday. They were savaged by 200 thugs with vicious Rockwaler dogs. One officer was nearly taken hostage. Yeah, I think we've covered this um, riot in one of the earlier podcasts. There, there, was, there was about eight articles that covered one riot and they all had these sensationalized headlines you know i mean look what they're saying here they were savaged the police were forced to retreat because they were savaged by 200 thugs with dogs and one officer was nearly taken hostage and last night police spokesman inspector edward sherwood admitted we were completely overwhelmed he added to save aggravation it is often best to allow events to continue Security officers at the massive party in a field near Rygate, Surrey, hurled canisters of CS gas at scores of officers, forcing them to flee under a cloud of choking fumes. The burly club-waving hooligans, watched by 10,000 revellers, and there wasn't 10,000 people at the Rygate party. This was the fantasy party. There was a couple of thousand people there, a few thousand. There wasn't 10,000 there. There was under 5,000, without a doubt. Um, even tried to overturn a police van during the riots. So the Burley Club waving hooligans even tried to turn over, overturn a police van. Hostage. They pulled out a policeman and tried to take him hostage before his colleagues came to the rescue. The officer in charge, Superintendent John Hoyle, was forced to release two arrested party organisers to save his men. Superintendent Hoyle said, if I hadn't taken a decision to withdraw, police would have certainly been injured and perhaps killed. Only 25 people were arrested before the officers retreated. 90 officers were nicked after three of the parties in Essex. This was in the Daily Star. And, I mean, they're talking about people being 
killed, which is just insane. And they're saying, um, they, now I will comment on this about the organizers. The officer in charge, superintendent, blah, blah, was forced to release two arrested party organizers to save his men. Now, I have been in that situation where I've gone out to front police and essentially, I mean, this one particular time, they put me in handcuffs immediately. And all the security surrounded them, I must admit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm saying, no, you know, you can't arrest me. And because if, if you arrest me, I'm the boss, no one can stop the party. And that's how I had to bill it. Like, all of these guys, no one can stop this, only me. And he, he took my handcuffs, handcuffs off and said, get in there and stop it, but you're still under arrest. That party, I was driven out in the boot of a car. But yeah, so that was a little bit more. And I think this might even be the, the same one. There's another article I've got here. Cops battle with acid party yobs. Riot as law moves in. Again, this is from the 1989 folder. 18 people were being questioned by police after a riot early yesterday at a huge outdoor acid house party. 90 policemen battled with drink and drug crazed youngsters as they tried to stop 2,000 revelers going ahead with the binge. Several officers were injured in a barrage of stones, bricks and flower pots and 12 police cars were damaged. The van, one van was wrecked. I'll just make it a little bit bigger. One van was wrecked after its petrol tank was set alight. Flames spread to a pole carrying electricity cables, but firemen prevented it reaching power lines. Police had been tipped off about the party in a field in the village of South Borough Hunt near blah, 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 and moved in to stop at 1.15. Inspector Graham Road said it was a very nasty incident. Officers had to use riot shields to protect themselves. A full-scale riot, full riot took place right outside my front door, less than 20 miles away at Bentley near Alton. Police received 300 calls from angry residents complaining about the noise from another acid party in a field. It attracted up to 3,000 people, but there were no arrests. And this, I think this is another story. Two PCs and several bystanders, one a doctor attending injured fight victims, were hurt in a rampage by hundreds of lager louts. So this is definitely something different. So it just goes to show you, yeah, the difference between, even though they're condemning this lot of acid house uh, ravers, it still sounds a lot worse when they're talking about the people that were drunk on alcohol. And it says, two PCs and several bystanders, one a doctor attending injured fight victims were hurt in a rampage by hundreds of Lagerlaus at Western Supermare. Given that they're talking about 2,000 people here. Okay, it's, it's another one. It's all battle, battle, battle. But let's stop with the battle for a second. And then they started closing down the nightclubs. They started targeting the nightclubs, the landowners, and anyone that owned any property, you know, aircraft hangar, studio, or whatever it might be. And they targeted them because they wanted to keep acid house party promoters out of their venues. But in doing that, 
it meant that you kept acid house party promoters staging illegal parties kept at it because we had nowhere else to go we now had we've now established personal platforms all the different promoters they had their platforms but now as much as everyone wanted to take them into legal venues we couldn't because we were banned from legal venues and anytime we tried to hire a legal venue we were closed down um this article is headlined drugs police raid nightclub police arrested 17 people and seized substances believed to include LSD, ecstasy and cannabis in a midnight drugs raid on a Chelsea nightclub. Two people have been charged with drug offences and three with public order offences after the raid on Crazy Larry's, which was uh, near Kings Road on the corner there. Four of those arrested were still helping with inquiries. But so this was Crazy Larry's and I remember this night. And Crazy Larry's was a hugely popular club, especially with, you know, the posh lot. And even these, I think this might have been like where you'll find all the wild childs, all your Emma Wrigley's and, you know, your Amanda's. Not, I think, they were definitely there. So your wild childs all came from this venue. And uh, this was where a lot of, you know, your elite, you know, and whatever you want to call them, the trendy lot would all go there. And so that was uh, Crazy Larry's. But then this article is targeting the Hacienda because then Hacienda was obviously on their radar up in Manchester. And they, the headline for this one, Drug Probe Could Close Pop Palace. And this is on the bizarre column of The Sun. And another headline they've got on there, at the, at the Hacienda Britain's hippest club. So it's a bizarre special about the Hacienda. Now I'll just make it a little bit bigger. Drug probe could close Pop Palace. The Hacienda, Britain's trendiest nightclub, faces closure because of police fears that it is a drugs haven for pushers and users. The Manchester the Manchester venue has become the Manchester venue has become a vocal point for young trendies since the emergence of the acid house craze three years ago. So this could be 1990. Yeah, this could be 1990. But the owners, led by TV presenter and record boss Tony Wilson, RIP, bless him, bitterly deny that drugs are freely available there and have hired top QC George Carmen to fight their case. Controversy hit the Hacienda last July when 16-year-old student Claire Layton died two days after taking a drug ecstasy there, which she allegedly bought there for £15. She was one of thousands of clubbers from all over the country who had headed for the dimly lit warehouse every weekend since it opened in 1982. They pay £5 a head to freak out at the sprawling three-floor club one of Britain's biggest night spots. It has sparked the revival of hippie style music and fashion, helping local bands like the Stone Roses, In Spiral Carpets and Happy Mondays soar up the charts because they were soaring up the charts. It's totally true. Regulars, including stars like Morrissey, The Smiths and New Order, 
are easy to spot in flared jeans, flowered power t-shirts, and Beatles styles haircuts. And DJs led by ex-special star Jerry Dammers are paid up to £500 a night to pump out the computerized up-tempo Balearic beat for 10 hours at a time. Come on, Sam. Steve Redhead, professor of pop culture at Manchester's Polytech, says the Hacienda is the center of a new tourism in the city and there is great demand nationwide for things Mancunian. This explains the remarkable chart success of Manchester bands who play there. Club owner and factory records boss Tony Wilson adds, we've gone back to 1967. The styles are the same as the Hacienda as they were at Woodstock. And Radio 1 DJ John Peel says, there's an anarchic nature to the Hacienda and the music it inspires. Yes, mate, so that, that's the Hacienda. So they're trying to close down Hacienda, you know, and they highlighted Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, in spiral carpets. And there's another one here somewhere. Where is it? For Heavens. And I'm trying to show you how they're targeting venue owners. Um, Branson, heaven is drugs hell. I mean, that's a serious article. I mean, that's a serious headline. <laughs> Anti-dope tycoon in club shock. Because they have to be careful what they say about him, you know. So that's why they've said anti-dope. Because they still got to be careful. Um... So Branson Heaven is drugs hell. Kids flocking to Richard Branson's Heaven night spot are being lured into a drugs hell. Evil dealers are selling youngsters killer ecstasy pills under the noses of anti-drugs campaign of Branson's security staff. Undercover News of the World investigators were offered dope three times within 10 minutes. And the peddlers of misery were even snaring kids in a queue outside the trendy haunt in London's West End. See me inside and I'll see you all right. A Deming-clad Cockney was telling them. He offered three types of ecstasy at £15 a pill and cannabis at £15 for an eighth of an Oz. Inside the Villa Street Club, our investigators bought two ecstasy tablets from him. Moments later, in a corridor between the cloakroom and toilets, they were approached by a short, thick-set man offering both ecstasy and amphetamine sulfate, known by abusers as speed or whiz. Want any E or whiz, he asked. The E's are £15 and the whiz is £10 a gram. Afterwards, as the reporters stood quietly drinking, a young girl approached him and asked, Can I sort anything out for you? Asked what she had, she quoted similar prices as the other dealers for all three drugs. Expert drug analyst John Slaughter later confirmed the drugs we bought were ecstasy. Blah, blah, blah. Told of our investigation's findings, Virgin boss Richard Branson's spokesman, Will Whitehorn, said, We absorb drugs. Everybody is searched when we enter the club. We also allow the police access. Blah, blah, blah. But Metropolitan Police spokeswoman, Joe Scarrett, said, I've checked and I can tell you 
there's no current investigation into dealing at that club. Our only involvement is normal visits by officers from our club's division based at West End Central Police Station, which is just normal for club licensing and stuff, you know, and they're all on the police book, no doubt. Uh, Westminster City Council spokesman Ivor Jones said Heaven's Entertainment license comes up for renewal in May. See, they're trying to destroy, they're trying to destroy the club, basically. So, I mean, that's it. So they're attacking with Richard Branson's club they're attacking hacienda they've gone for crazy larry's and they've gone for lots of other venues as well so this headline would have uh, turned a few heads and it would have angered parents and scared parents ecstasy kids because again it's always kids ecstasy kids duped with goldfish pills pushers flog three pound tablets at 20 pound a time i just make it a little bigger so I can read it. Drug pushers are cashing in on the ecstasy craze by flogging lookalike pills normally given to goldfish. Teeny boppers, yeah, teeny boppers, are forking out £20 for the tablets at dimly lit all-night raves. But they are just goldfish bowl oxygen pellets bought for £3 each in humble pet shops and incapable of giving anyone a high. However, taken in large numbers, they can cause vomiting, liver damage, or convulsions. The pushers have been stripping shelves to exploit naive kids eager for their first experience of ecstasy. Two store managers in the Greater Manchester area confirmed the bizarre scam to Sunday Sports. We are withholding their identities and business addresses to protect them from reprisals as if they're going to get attacked one said we were selling about two or three boxes a week until three weeks ago when it shot up to 200 i got the lowdown from a 12 year old boy who was with a group of youths trying to buy the pills he said they were being sold at acid house parties for big money we have taken the pills off display and only sell them to people buying other items so that's what the shop owner obviously said. A second Manchester shop, a second Manchester pet shop boss confirmed, we are refusing to sell large numbers of these tablets to individuals and, are that, and they are getting quite stroppy. The pills are made from blah, blah, blah. Dr. Henry of the National Poisons Unit London said, while the tablets were harmless, the temptation for youngster might be to swallow a handful when they didn't work. Chronic damage to vital organs could then result. Ian Waddle, manager of the Manchester-based drug counselling service Lifeline, says it's easy for pushers to fool youngsters. He added, the fakes will be sold at the same rate as real ecstasy, 15 to 20 pound a pill. So that's fake tablets. And I, you know, I can't deny that that would have happened. I'm sure that something like that would have happened. And what about this one? Fury over M25 Acid House Drug Party by Tim Buckley. Let's go in a bit closer. Angry villagers told last night of the 20 hours of hell after more than 8,000 youngsters descended for a mind-bending Acid House party. 
it was the latest in a series of wild bashes for thrill-seeking teenagers exposed in the sun last weekend. So this is obviously the sun. They are known as orbital parties because they take place within a few miles of the M25 outside of London. For those that don't know, the M25 is a motorway that rings the whole of London. Youngsters, some as young as 14, paid £8 a head for the latest party on a farmland at Elstree Hertz. Furious resident Ian said this party has gone on and on. Sunday is supposed to be a quiet day when you can relax in your garden. Alexa, whose home overlooks the field, said there was hour after hour of machine music for mindless morons. Organisers hired the field from Farmer Seamus, claiming they were raising cash for a charity, no doubt. <laughs> they were raising cash for a hospital scanner appeal. He later apologised to residents who deluged police with complaints. The local council finally got a high court order to stop the party. One councillor alleged drugs, including mind-bending ecstasy and cocaine derivative crack, were on sale. Crack was on sale? Come on, mate. Tory MP Harry Greenfield said, These acid parties are intolerable. They are hell for everyone around. Police claim they monitored the situation but could not act because it was a private party. An organiser said, It's been one hell of a bash and all perfectly legal. I saw no drugs. Here again, they're going on about private parties because they have to change this. They had to change the private parties tag to pay parties. That was their whole thing. We have to change it to pay parties and then we can uh, activate a different set of laws and a different set of powers. I mean, here's one about boy George. George passes the acid test. He spurns an ecstasy bribe. Reform junkie boy George last night confessed he handled the drug ecstasy days before he hosted a wild acid house party, but says he wasn't even tempted to take it. Well done, son. Look what they say next. The gender bender. I mean, this was the language that they used to use at that time. The gender bender who beat a heroin habit three years ago accepted the love drug from a girl fan on Ecstasy Island, Ibiza. But George, 28, gave away the white pill, a potentially lethal drugs cocktail causing hallucinations. He handled the drug just days before his massive birthday bash at the island's Amnesia nightclub. Some girl offered me five ecstasy tabs for one invite to the party, he told Time Out magazine, who was one of the 4,000 guests. I guess I hadn't any invites left, but she wouldn't leave me alone, so I took one tab off her and said, I see what I can do. There's our boy, boy George. He did a party in Amnesia. I think this is might be 1989 yeah this is 1989 here's a couple that used the word terror you know i've I've been saying that there, there were articles that used the word terror and here are two of them or here's one 
tanked up terror of acid invaders. Can you imagine? Tanked up terror of acid invaders. Now I'm just going to make it a little bit bigger. Oh yeah, and the bullet points are party mobs steal petrol worth £550 and crops ruined by mad races in fields. I'm just going to make it a bit bigger. This article is by a star reporter. That is the Daily Star newspaper. A mob of acid house partygoers stormed a garage early yesterday and filled up their cars without paying. They topped up their tanks while the lone attendant watched helplessly. Then they set off on a 4am burn up around a sleeping village fueled by stolen petrol worth £550. The tanked up youngsters staged races over newly planted fields. Terrified locals were trapped in their homes as cars whizzed through narrow winding lanes. The 17 hour party, which didn't break up until 7pm yesterday, was held on an old wartime airfield at Raiden, Suffolk. Traffic on the A12 was brought to a halt as about 10,000 youngsters flocked to the event held to raise cash for the Thames River Boat Disaster Appeal. This again, I think, is going back to the uh, Marchioness disaster. Farmers used tractors to block off their land as many drivers abandoned their cars up to two miles from the party site. I mean, that's what you would do. And here, I mean, here farmers are using their tractors to block ravers from driving down you know the the small lanes narrow lanes whatever or the roads to get to the the party so in effect you could see the lights you could hear the music and you either had police or you had likes of these uh farmers who were blocking your blocking your way essentially and so people would park their cars right there and then just okay if you're not going to let us through we'll park the car we'll climb over the fence we'll go around you we'll go around the tractors we'll go around the police roadblocks and essentially that's what they're doing here the petrol free for all took place at a shell station at ardley between blah 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 attendant mark 19 said they descended in a mob and there was nothing i could do they just helped themselves there were hundreds of them. I can't say that didn't happen. It probably did happen. I'm not sure. But this was the sun, September 1989. I never experienced it. I never witnessed it myself. I've heard people say that they may have done that. I think someone even in the podcast, I think on the Rain Dance podcast, Pez might have mentioned it. But I've, I never personally did that. And I was never ever on a convoy of people that did that either, I should point out. But so they're using terror. Terror in the title. I mean, that's dramatic, isn't it? You know? But then next we have, and this is September 1989, top heart hospital in acid terror. Can you imagine? Friends, the acid house revelers brought anguish to patients at Britain's top heart hospital early yesterday. Ear-spitting music kept 180 sick folk, many recovering from life-saving surgery, awake for 10 hours at Harefield Hospital. Nearly 5,000 revelers 
bopped away from 2am until midday at the £15 a head rave up. And another reason why they keep pointing out how much these tickets cost, one obviously is because they're trying to show you that the people that are organising these types of events where there's mind-bending drugs taken by teenagers are earning vast amounts of money. So that's one thing. So that means they are potentially a dangerous force. Two is that the media are helping the government to reterm or, or to redefine what the parties are. So by call, they want the newspapers and they want everyone else to call them pay parties. They want the councils to call them pay parties and the newspapers and the media to call them pay parties. It's important to their campaign of fear <laughs> to, as such that they keep pointing out these things and then the law will be changed. And again, the laws that are changed are laws which affect everyone. It affects everyone in the country. It normally involves restricting movement and your right to assembly. So they were bopping away for £15 a head. Tannoy announcements boomed throughout the night and a dazzling laser show lit the sky for miles. Now, obviously, they're calling the Tannoy. It's obviously an MC or something on the microphone and they you know they they're mistaking that for being tannoy announcements health chiefs were later furious with police for letting the party go ahead and just three miles from the hospital at harefield blah 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 and 1000 complaints flooded in from residents some living five miles away one seething villager said all you could hear was fud 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 all night long the whole village is furious police cornered off stocks farm from 8 p.m but hundreds sneaked through hedges to reach the bash and that's what i'm saying you sneak through the hedges park your car you do whatever you needed to do 14 youths were later arrested for drug offenses party organizers tricked their way onto the land by claiming they were making a tv film police said there you go see i'm not making these things up the farm used in the making of the movie Black Beauty is owned by such and such. And he was left counting the cost after acid fans smashed bottle and glasses, urinated everywhere, tore down fences and frightened a prized horse into gashing a leg. A police spokesman said, because of the sheer numbers and isolated location, we were unable to stop the event you know we're out of control and we need to be controlled i mean here's another one four policemen were hurt in a pitched battle with hundreds of acid house ravers yesterday the revelers hurled stones and welded planks as the officers broke up a massive warehouse party two patrol cars were set alight by the crazed mob before 60 police reinforcements with riot gear and dog handlers finally emptied the building at Blackburn. We the Blackburn lot. Then 500 fans raced off in a bid to restage the party at Blackpool. Three party goers were arrested. Now, obviously, there's always been such highlights on, you know, what the, what the London lot were doing or what the Manchester lot were doing, but they were doing massive parties, illegal warehouse parties in Blackburn as well. So this was about one of their parties. 
Two patrol cars were set alight by the crazed mob. Police with riot gear and dog handlers. And then the old classic, you know, you raced off to try and find another building. We've done that so many times, you know. What else have we got here? Big acid swoop. 19 youths were arrested for drug offences yesterday at a massive acid house party. More than 600 residents complained about the noise from the all-night bash attended by 2,000 fans. But police were powerless to stop the party because it was held on private land in a field near Essex. Police said the youths they arrested had the drugs ecstasy, LSD and cannabis. Meanwhile, Acid House King Tony C collected £300,000 from another £25 a head party in Princess blah, 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 blah. £300,000. Do you see what they're trying to do? All of this is in, in one short article. You know, the fact that noise complaints, 600 noise complaints, you know, police were powerless. All the trigger words are all here. Earning these huge amounts of money, you know, youths as well, you know, arrests, all of that in that little short article. Next, let's, yeah, so let's go to New Year's Eve. And I've got some articles here. Just to preempt these articles. Uh, this is New Year's Eve, 1988 to 1990. Now, Genesis had, the year before New Year's Eve, Genesis had done, you know, the biggest party of the period with sunrise and we did that at Side road in hackney and that was a hugely successful party the best and biggest one of the night and we were also involved in the new year's eve party for 1989 to 1990 and this time because a lot of ravers have had quite a rough time and a lot of parties have been stopped the the police pay pass unit had been quite successful after the summer and lots and lots of passes had been stopped and so we decided Jarvis Sandy from biology and myself and you know and Genesis we decided that we were going to do a free party and, and just to give everything back and we'd already done a party in this building it was an old Panasonic building and it was a massive building and it was out in Slough and it was quite it was an open building so you didn't really have to break in we decided that we were going to use that building again and we were going to do New Year's Eve. And it was a free party and we promoted it through our usual channels and, you know, we declared the date. At the same time, uh, Sunrise was doing a party somewhere else. I don't know where it was. We, we were only going to be going there if this party got stopped. And I think they were charging like £25 a head for their party but we our party was free and probably about 11 p.m so on the night of the event you know the party's going on you know the party's been mentioned in my book and there was loads of dramas on the build-up to this and you know a convoy of cars i brought to the building uh when i got to the building there was an interlocked chain of policemen and soldiers outside you know and we had to run through that interlocked chain of policemen and soldiers but we were going to get through. It was New Year's Eve. I galvanised all the crowd. I gave them a bit of a speech, told them it was over if we didn't get through this uh, blockade, and we got through it. 
got into the building. But there was lots of dramas that happened, and that was just one of them. And then about 11 p.m., we got word. It might have been after 12. I can't remember. But about 11 p.m., the party's going on, and we got word from Sunrise that their party had been stopped. We might have even got word maybe 10 o'clock that their party got stopped, and they were asking us if we mind if they come and join us. Because if they're, the fact is, if they, if no party happened that night, they would have had to give all of the money back. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation, you know. And so a party had to t take place in order for them to get that ticket money. And so although our party was free and we wasn't making a penny from it, and again, I have to clarify that when sunrise came and joined us we didn't charge any money i wasn't didn't make any money from that party so although sunrise took home all the ticket money for the 25 pound a head a bash you know i i didn't get any of that money and our party didn't the free new year's eve party was completely free for everybody and and there was a load of articles that happened about that event and this is one of them so i'll start reading some of these article acid bosses defy cop ban defiant organizers of a huge new year's eve acid house party said last night that police would not stop them staging the event up to ten thousand youngsters are expected to flock on the 12-hour party on a private estate in essex the event is the brainchild of tony c notorious for organizing large warehouse parties throughout the home counties. Police have warned they will not allow tomorrow's bash to go ahead and say the organizers risk prosecution. But promoters, worldwide productions, say the party will go ahead. They have even sent an invitation to Tory MP Graham Bright, who is proposing the bill trying to ban all-night parties. And so they're obviously winding up Graham Bright there, who is the MP, who is the figurehead trying to stop Acid House parties at all costs, basically. So that, so that was one article. Here's another. Again, they're using the word terror. New Year terror as steamers run riot. You see they're using the word terror and they're using the word steamers and riot in the same headline. And this, the whole thing isn't about acid house but they've made it they've got a picture of tony c there and people will recognize that picture now because he's been on front pages of newspapers and they've been in loads of different articles so they they know who the lad is so they recognize him so instantly people would have connected this headline with acid house um and, and just to show you just for people that are listening that this is in no way connected to acid house Gangs of petty thieving steamers brought terror to New Year's revelers in London's Trafalgar Square early yesterday. As Big Ben struck midnight, large numbers of youths rushed through the 60,000 strong crowd, snatching anything worth stealing. Nothing to do with Acid House. So blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, a giant acid party planned for Norfolk last night was switched to Slough after a high court ban. By midnight, it had attracted more than 3,000 revellers. The court ban was won by North Norfolk District Council. Organiser Tony C said he would sue the council for £200,000 in losses. 
And here's another article. Uh, headline, Acid Party Finds a Home. Acid House fans packed a warehouse on an industrial estate at Slough, Berkshire, early today for a 1990 mega party after the organisers spent all day finding a venue. Plans to stage the event in Norfolk had to be abandoned when the High Court banned it. About 3,000 ticket holders were advised to assemble at Heston service station on the M4 west of London, where they were told of the new venue. Police said they were standing by, but were allowing the party to go ahead. See, there was lots of articles. Here's another one. Acid Party beats New Year ban. And now some of it is distorted, so I can't see it, but I'll read some of it. 8,000 Acid House revelers made a last-minute switch to a deserted warehouse in Slough for a free end-of-the-decade party yesterday morning after the High Court upheld a ban on the original site in Norfolk. Police criticised the Sunrise Mega Party's organisers for providing no toilet facilities and for allowing overcrowding, but were unable to prevent it going ahead. Some 11 arrests were made, mostly drugs-related. It was a nice atmosphere, said Mr Paulless, a spokesman for one of the organisers. We maintained our right to party. It was a free party. Blah, 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 blah. Now, they're talking about overcrowding. For one thing, it was a huge venue. There was two sides to it, too. I mean, it could easily have held, you know, 20,000. No, no bother at all, so... It wasn't overcrowded and there was no threat of it being overcrowded. Acid party revelers bid to outwit police. We get around high court ban, is a quote. And this is from an express reporter, again, anonymous. And it's quite a big article to not put your name to, really. Police went on acid house alert last night as thousands of youngsters prepared to attend up to 20 all-night New Year's Eve parties throughout the south of England. There you go. 20 massive New Year's Eve parties throughout England. Well, I don't know if they're massive, but you know what I mean. This shows you that the parties were happening all over the country. Detective, detectives received a flood of information about possible parties in eight counties within striking distance of the M25. The night's biggest event appeared to have been called off after a legal ban was upheld in the High Court today. But last night, a Scotland Yard spokeswoman said 300 young people had congregated at the service station near Southall, West London. Police were monitoring traffic, although no problems had been reported. A court order prohibited the party, which was originally planned for Essex, and expected to draw up to 10,000 youngsters from going ahead in a private field in Norfolk. After initially counselling the party, organisers decided to launch a last-minute search for a new site. Lorries carrying the sound system and laser equipment to be used at the show were told to turn around and head towards London, where organisers were trying to find the new site. A taped telephone message for partygoers so this tape message would have been the number you had on the tickets, which you had to call at a certain point, and they would have given you the address. And this is for people that might not know. And this is one of the ways that we used to get people to the parties. Originally, we used meeting points, 
but then and you know on the proper illegal ones we use meeting points but on these ones on sunrise parties they used premium hotlines and so you would call call the hotline at a certain time you get the address and all roads lead to that venue so on those premium lines they were saying this a tape telephone message for party goers said the new year's eve party 1990 mega party is definitely going on take no notice of news reports that the event is cancelled so that's so comical it's so tony you know take no notice of the news reports because obviously this was even this article i think it was well from the wording of this article i would say that this was probably published during the day on the day of the event and from from that last quote there was obviously other um media stories relating to that party saying that it was bad so they they have sunrise have reiterated that this party has not been cancelled and it's going on they have got an injunction to stop the event on that site but we do of course have further backup sites and the party will go on says the prone line the revelers were told to meet at heston service station callers were told to ring back at 8 p.m for an updated message the recorded message from the organizer said the band party would go ahead at another venue it said we have arranged for ticket holders to attend a warehouse party tonight called powerhouse which is not true doors will open at about 11 p.m but obviously you have to distance now obviously the guys have got to distance themselves from sunrise you know because obviously the the high court had banned their event so they, they put this name on it powerhouse but i don't know if at this point they knew they were coming to uh the genesis and biology party in slough i'm not sure but uh party organizer tony blah blah said completely unfairly our final party has been stopped it's typical of the way that we are being oppressed by the authorities promoters worldwide Productions said they would sue north norfolk district council for an estimated two hundred thousand pounds in losses mr colsonator added we have endeavored to take every precaution concerning safety and work to all times with respect for the law detectives in kent believed other secret events would go ahead making it the busiest acid party night since the summer detective sergeant pat said there is a possibility of about 20 parties and one or two of those may well be big ones it doesn't take a genius to work out that new year's eve would be a busy time everyone likes to be out bopping regrettably we have not yet identified any particular venues but the information we have received has given us some very useful clues. He said it would be up to the senior officers of each county's police force to decide how best to deal with the problem. He added, I can tell you Kent definitely has a police support unit standing by to deal specifically with any party we find out about. Thames Valley police were last night monitoring an acid house party in a farm, blah, 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 in Bucks. So all eyes are on Sunrise for their announced party. They they did sell thousands of tickets in advance. I know they definitely did because everyone wanted to go and everybody wanted to make sure that they could actually get in wherever it was going to be. And it ended up being with us lot, with, uh, with biology and Genesis. 
so here's another one and this is you can see how much one part how much press one party generated this one the the headline is ravers attack police angry acid house revelers went on a rampage when police halted their new year's eve party plans violence flared as police swooped on a warehouse at rugby warwick's where 10,000 youngsters were expected to see in a decade as the first 200 were evicted revelers attacked police wrecked cars and smashed windows two two pcs were hurt and three police vehicles including a dog van overturned five people were arrested in Slough, Berks, police were powerless to stop a 5,000-strong rave. Thames Valley Police said, We had all but succeeded in getting people to leave when a convoy with some 4,000 people turned up. That was me, mate. <laughs> I didn't even know that was in there. Despite four arrests, one cop said the kids were good as gold. Now, you see that. Despite four arrests, one cop said... The kids were good as gold. Now, let's get back to me leading that convoy. Wee. Thames Valley Police said we had all but succeeded in getting people to leave when a convoy with some 4,000 people turned up. And that was me. And I think, I don't know if I've, I don't want to repeat myself if I've spoken about this on the podcast before. But when I, this was me, I led a, a convoy of thousand thousand cars or something like that it, it the cars the traffic filled up the entire service station and they had a lorry car park and a car car park and so they were packed and then i got word that the police had created a roadblock to the service station and blocked us all in and so i said to everyone you know it was time to go you know and everyone packed in their cars and it honestly was I felt like Moses, this, this sea of cars, I jumped in my car and this sea of cars just opened up to allow me to drive through to the front of the convoy. And, you know, I drove slow enough that people could get into their cars and and then, you know, I kind of pulled up about, you know, 50 metres away from the police roadblock, you know, and like got some cars behind me and stuff. And then I just put my foot down and just drove straight towards the convoy. I knew that they was going to just move out of the way in all fairness i knew there was no way they were going to stay there and i just put my foot down not fast you know i'm not saying i did a like a chicken run but i just put my foot down i made it clear i wasn't going to stop and so they moved out of the way and then we was i pulled we pulled into the onto the slow lane and because i gave everyone a speech before we got there and just telling people that you know we had one chance to pull this off and you know we needed everybody to be driving safely on the motorway. We don't want to give the police uh, any opportunity to stop the event. So no driving dangerously. I said all this kind of stuff. And people were drive, driving really carefully. And I remember, I, I think I have mentioned it on the podcast, but I remember looking in my rear view mirror and just seeing headlights as far as the eye can see. And we were all driving in the slow lane and there was police in the, the middle lane. You know, I, I think it was an A road actually, but there were police in the other lane, and you know they had a clear lane, and they were just running up. And I remember as we got to our turn off that I needed to come off, there was another police roadblock, and I just drove again. I I, I just indicated to go left, and and I when I looked in the rear rear view mirror, I could see I indicated to go left, and I could see all, all the indicators of all the cars 
just coming on and they were all indicating to go left. And that was really exciting. At this point, I was 23 years old and it was really exciting. I could see all the indicators coming on, uh, indicating to go left and the police could see them as well. And they just moved out of the way. But when I got to the building now, it was interlocked by this chain of policemen and soldiers. But and inside, the police were packing away all our sound equipment with, with the lads. And inside was my partners, Jarvis um, was inside. Actually, Tarquin was there. I'll give you a shout, Tarquin. Tarquin was there and my partner, Keith. You know, I, I galvanized all the crowd. I had to give them all another speech. That was my second speech of the night. And I was basically telling people, mate, if we don't get through this, block it's over you know there's no more parties so we have to get through here just to send a message out that we are not going to stand for our parties being stopped because essentially that's what it was this was something that we all loved it was something that we all enjoyed we wasn't in it for the money we wasn't in it for the for the drugs we were in it for the social element of it, it the social gathering you know and and we didn't want it to stop and you could label it as drug parties whatever you like we didn't really care but if we don't have this party tonight it is over for us and that galvanized the crowd and you know we ran through the roadblock we were not on the block it was an interlocked chain of policemen and soldiers and we just ran through them and then i was one of the first people to get to this loading dock and jumped up into the warehouse and when i jumped up i saw my partners were in there you know keith and jarvis and but they were helping policemen to load the sound system into a van you know and I just jumped up and I just shouted like, oi, oi, you know, and just, Way! just started shouting, just running towards them. And I had all these people behind me and everyone was just running towards us. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was at the far end of the building and we were just, because it was, it was a huge building and they were at the far end and we were just running. And I can imagine what we must have looked like because we all came through this one loading dock and, you know, I had thousands of people with me. You know, there was a thousand cars. So you estimate there was more than one person in each car. And so, you know, we come just spewing out of this loading dock and the policemen, they just put all the sound equipment down and they just disappeared at the back. And there was obviously another way out back and, you know, they just got out of the way and then the party happened. And so that was really exciting. That part the, where people were, in the slow lane following me in the convoy and then when we arrived you know i mean obviously the police knew we were coming because they're all in contact but the lads in the warehouse they didn't know that i was there you know and so when i came in yeah you know it was it was a happy moment it was a moment that i'll always remember forever you know and so what's the sun saying this is the sun after new year's eve the sun says ecstasy the party's over because this is New Year's Eve, well, it's nine, January the 1st, 1990. New Year's Eve was hide and seek for police and acid house organizers. One thrash expected to attract 10,000 youngsters was frantically switched around the home counties and East Anglia. In the end, by sheer persistence, police were able to enforce a ban, but other parties did go ahead with the usual mixture of violence and arrests. With the usual mixture of violence and arrests. Fortunately, these parties could well be the last. From next month, such gatherings will be illegal. 
without a local authority license. I mean, they're illegal anyway, so I don't even know what they're talking about. We cannot imagine any council so irresponsible that it will not use its new legal powers. So here we're going back to another podcast where I did, I think in the declassified Acid House files. And we were talking about, um, there were lots of laws that were already in place that local authorities could use, but local authorities wasn't using them. So the government was talking about, they had to find ways in encouraging the local councils to implement these, these laws. So this is what this is referring to. We cannot imagine any council so irresponsible that it will not use its new legal powers. Acid house parties have been merely a cloak for mass drug taking. They were a constant menace to our youngsters. The evil craze belonged to the complacent 80s. We hope and believe it has died along with the decade. The party is over. And that is a great news to start 1990. So we're here, 1990. You know, all of these... Um, different headlines, all galvanizing fear. I'm just showing YouTube viewers that I've still got a 1990 folder. Look, you know, there's more, there's, there's more to come. Um, this one, <laughs> this one is dramatic. This is going to be from, uh, you know, media hype part four, I guess for 1990. 836 nicked as cops raid acid party. That was Monday, July the 23rd, 1990. Siege sparks battle. Police arrested 836 people yesterday after a raid on an illegal acid house party in an abandoned warehouse. Anyway, that's for another podcast. And you can see... You know, there are so many different articles and I honestly believe this is really worth investigation. It's worth looking at. And you can see that we were at war. That Literally, we were at war. We, The kind of news reporting that I see these days, that military-style format was deployed against us, you know? So these newspaper articles are an important part of the Acid House history. And it's important to see just how the media were deployed against Acid House and just has, how they were doing their utmost to cause these different wedges between party promoters and ravers, between the general public and party promoters and ravers. And in creating that wedge, they were able to instigate all of this fear, which was then able to get changes in the law, get new powers, limit public assembly and change the way that we experience these events because we wanted them to be in warehouses. The only reason why it all went back into clubland because that's what happened after 1990, everything went back into clubland. And the reason why it did was because of these newspaper headlines. It attracted all the wrong people in the end. So many parties were being stopped that people went back into the clubs. And at this point, the clubs are getting later club licenses. So they were able to go to 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. in the morning. And so people were encouraged to go back into the clubs. But that's another podcast. But for this one, I think I'll call it a day here. 
And I would definitely look forward to doing another one with all that 1990s stuff. But so again, you know, uh, don't forget to subscribe, you know, hit that notification button, add us on all the social media networks, you know, visit our websites and, you know, all that good stuff. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for staying the journey and see you next time. Certain religion, do you think? No, is that no, it's no, more to do no. with a kind of a drug, isn't it? It's a drug. Yeah, well, those that take it want to be, oh, be ashamed well. of themselves. According to the Sun, there were thousands of empty ecstasy wrappers littering the floor of the 250-foot-long hangar. Drugs, sex, sensation. Some newspapers have called Acid House Music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug-taking. The message is certainly getting across. The organisers kept the location secret until the very last moment, which was the main reason, according to the papers, why there were so few police here and they were unable to act. Drug-crazed kids, some as young as 12, boogied for eight hours yesterday at Britain's biggest ever ecstasy bash. The party took place here, infiltrated by reporters from the Mail and the Sun. There's, there's meant to be a drugs-related craze. What do you know about acid house music? It must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that That's does it. it. All them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't even go in the no. pub where them lights are. Oh, no, they drive no. you mate.